Wow, it's the 16th of June, 2020, or it will be when I send this out. And and what to say? I'd want to talk about Libya, a country that's dear to me these days. I've been there so many times since the revolution. Since the I've been there many, many times before the revolution. I feel kind of sorry for Libya. Who wouldn't? What a miserable situation that country is in. Now, I'm going to be rather controversial here because I think people have different understandings of the Middle East and of country like Libya. And I would say it is a nation in which the tensions of the Middle East are being played out. And the big powers are also playing their game there. And they don't necessarily understand what they're doing. So let me try and paint my picture of the tensions of the Middle East and then relate that in some way to Libya. Okay, this is my picture, my perception. Nobody else's necessarily. You probably don't even begin to think this way about the Middle East of today. The Middle East is divided into Protestant and Catholic. Okay, think of it. I'm a Westerner. I have to think in Western terms. Um, I'm Western to my core, and yet I have a kind of perception, a feeling for the Middle East. I love the Middle East. I love it. The Middle East is divided into Protestant and Catholic. Okay, for me, the Shiites are the Catholics. They're the fancy ones. They have, oh, they go in for sin big time. You know, like the Catholics. Catholics make a huge issue of sin. Ah, the Shiites are the same in some ways. They have, they even have days on which they, oh, they, they go into self-flagellation. In some cases, even take it phys- to physical extremes. And in their passion for their religion. And they're very elaborate in their worship, shrines, and you might say idolatrous. If you were Protestant, don't like that kind of thing. Very passionate, very Irish. That's the Shiites. And then you have the, the Protestants. That's the Sunnis. A little bit Puritan. they got this Puritan edge, you know, like us Prodies. Uh, I mean, you know what we're like, nonconformists. Grumpy. Let's call us the grumpy people. This is the Sunnis. We like being grumpy. We enjoy it as Protestants. Now, they, the Grumpies, the Protestants, the pure ones, we're divided in half, too, in the Arab world. We're divided between the Muslim Brotherhoods and the Salafists, okay? The true Puritans. Right, so what's the, um, the difference between Muslim Brotherhood and Salafists? Muslim Brotherhood, Aquan. They call them the Brotherhood. That's Arabic for Brotherhood. Aquan. They're kind of socialist Islam. You know? La vida vi. Well, who likes a socialist? Goodness sake. Jeremy. Jeremy Corbyn. So the Muslim Brotherhood are the socialist Islam. And then you have the Salafists. And what are they? They're the other half of the Protestants. I guess you'd call them the capitalists. Well, I mean, are those that have that inclination that those that aren't socialist then the salafists they tend to be in in tend to be in islamic terms the back to basics they're puritans really salafists are traditionalists they like to go right back to the islam of the prophet muhammad as they see it their perception of the islam of the prophet muhammad which is kind of a script naked islam and it's very it's very tempting of course it's very 
attractive. Oh, everybody likes a little touch of Puritanism, don't they? Little, <laughs> little raw edge to life. We all like that now and again. Yes, you tend to reject the other if you're a Salafist. It's my way or the highway. You get some of that. Of course, if you take it to extremes, as they do in parts of Saudi Arabia, and as they have done more recently in with Daesh. Daesh is a true Salafist movement of extremes. You know, like the extreme Puritans. You're either with me or against me. I'm right, you're wrong. But basically, Salafists are Puritans, but with a kind of capitalist edge. Well, certainly anti-socialist. Kings like Salafism, by and large, because it's against change, you know? And like too much change. Takes things to go back to the raw beginnings. Yes, so there you go. That, that's Islam. That's the whole Muslim world. Or is it? There's a little flavor of something else. You do get Sufism, which is like happy-clappy Islam, like charismatic Islam. The happy-clappies are kind of like hippies of Islam. They, they go in for loving everybody. People don't even trust them. You also get people who are on the edge of that kind of we love everybody kind of thing that, that straddle a borderline uh, between Sufism and uh, Salafism. For instance, the Abathis in Oman, who are Puritan but loving. I mean, how can you be happy, clappy and, and, and Salafist at the same time? It's, it's a bit odd, isn't it, really? But they have that streak, the Abadi Islam, as I see it, anyway. Uh, quite Puritan, but, but quite sort of hard-working and capitalist and kind of we-love-everybody edge, the Sufism. Quite attractive, actually, as an approach to Islam. I find it quite seductive. It's quite a nice sort of approach. But they're not mainstream Islam. Okay, you got it? Now, this is all being played out in war in Libya. So... Let's just, let's just make it clear. Where are the socialist populations of the Middle East? Where are the Muslim Brotherhood, the Aqwan strong? Well, half the United Arab Emirates, you know, those Northern Arab Emirates, half of Jordan, you know, Southern Jordan, all of Turkey, pretty much. Turkey's a Muslim Brotherhood country, read by a Muslim Brotherhood president. Erdogan's whole political party is based on the Aqwan. I mean, it's, it comes out of the Aqwan, the Muslim Brotherhood. And he hasn't strayed much from that, except he makes it hegemonic. It's kind of imperialist, socialist. Yeah, it's a contradiction in terms, not really. Think of uh, Russian communism, you know. It's, it's um, imperialist, socialist. That's Turkey. Half of Syria is, uh, is socialist. Aqwan, Muslim Brotherhood. Half of Egypt is most definitely socialist very militant about it. It's an us and them thing there. They're real Muslim Brotherhood, half of them. Qatar. Qatar. Qatar is more symbolically Muslim Brotherhood. It kind of likes to irritate everybody else. It's like a little, it's a little grumpy state of all of its own. So it's symbolically Muslim Brotherhood. Iqwan supporting, mostly because Saudi Arabia isn't, or the leadership of Saudi Arabia. Libya it's predominantly Muslim Brotherhood in inclination, but softy, softy Aquan. Not Muslim Brotherhood as they know it in Egypt. I mean, it's not really heavy, heavy. No, 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 no. It's a quite gentle Aquan, almost loving socialism. Gaddafi wasn't really. He was kind of Salafist in inclination. But there, uh, in my view. Who are one of the Salafist countries? Well, half of Saudi Arabia and the dominant half, of course. Half of Egypt and the dominant half currently. Half of Iraq. All the, you know, they have huge fondness for the Salafist approach of the of Daesh. 
half of Iraq is certainly that way inclined, half of the United Arab Emirates, well, by default because they oppose the Aquan, half of Bahrain, of course, by default because they oppose the Shiites. Yeah, these kind of places. Where are the Sufi countries? Well, a quarter of Iran, or not quite a quarter, but a significant proportion of Iran is, is Sufi in, or liberal in inclination. Let's call them the liberals, you know, like the Liberal Party in Britain. Oh, man, I said that. I, of course, they're Ibadi, but I put them in that bracket. Maybe there's some Sufism in Libya, Sufism in inclination. A lot of Mizratans, a lot of Tripotanians are quite liberal and aren't true. Akhwan, let's say a quarter of Libya. Sinai, the Sinai, that's my part of why the Sinai gets persecuted so much. Sinai is Sufi, by and large. The Bedou, not really Salafist, more Sufi, in my view. It doesn't apply to the Bedou everywhere. Many of the Bedou are very Salafist, but in, in Sinai tend to be Sufi. Mostly, I suppose, because mainstream Egypt is predominantly Salafist, and uh, therefore they have to be against what Egypt is mainstream because they're Bedou and the Bedou of the Sinai are treated as non-Egyptian by the Egyptians. They, that's the way it is. Who are the Shiite countries? Three quarters of Iran, of course, predominantly. Half of Saudi Arabia, the underdog half, but nonetheless. Half of Iraq, of course, the biggest half, the, the southern half. Uh, half of Lebanon, of course, the, predominant, the largest half by a little bit, by a squidgy bit. Half of Bahrain, yeah, Shiite the Catholics of the Arab world. So this is played out in Libya, in war, the great factions. Turkey has come in, weighed in on the side of the internationally recognized government, which has very little leverage otherwise. Mizratans tend to be a Kwan, and they're the, 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 the bloody fighting power behind the internationally recognized government, or they tend to support it. Of course, General Haftar is the representing the Salafists. Okay, well, representing Egypt then, and the Salafist powers, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, <laughs> France. <laughs> he represents France, by the way. <laughs> France, French foreign policy is wonderful. French, you always know what the French think or do. They, they, their foreign policy is so clear. It's vive la France. It's anything for France. They don't give a damn about international law or anything else. It's what's in French interest. We pursue what's in French interest. Sometimes clarity is refreshing, but unfortunately, Britain, France, and Italy overthrew General Gaddafi. These three countries decided to overthrow General Gaddafi. They were supporting a movement in the Arab Spring, if you like to call it that, which, as one of the Libyans that interns with us says, has turned into an Arab winter. Oh, poor, poor Libya. Yeah, Britain, France, and Italy. France, because of simple hegemonic goals, it just wanted the oil, you know, that kind of thing. Britain, uh, David Cameron, actually, the British government, was very much in the lead on this. Yeah, Cameron just wanted to be a bit of an imperialist. He wanted to have his imperialist moment, enjoy uh, his war, cause a bit of pain somewhere. Cameron, the great causer of suffering. Cameron responsible for the referendum on Britain's membership of the European Union conservative idea. Anyway, we did this, not the Americans. I've said this before. It's, it's Britain, France and Italy that destroyed Libya. Man, Libya needed destroying, you might argue. Gaddafi was a dictator. He was not in tune with his people and he was cruel. 
So what have you got left? Now you've got a Libya in which we cannot tolerate elections, of course. We can't have that. Not genuine free and fair elections. We haven't liked the idea from the beginning. That's the problem. You see, we overthrew the government, but we don't want elections. Well, can you imagine who they might elect? The internationally recognized government is already riddled with socialists. Aquan, we can't have that, can we? And you know what they might do if they didn't elect the Aquan? They might elect Saif Gaddafi, you know, because they might be tired and want to go back to the... Oh, my goodness. We have enough trouble with Afghanistan where we're having to give up the nation to, 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 to the Taliban. After all that bloodshed, putting them back. The idea of putting Gaddafi back, well, Gaddafi's son, Saif Gaddafi. Saif Gaddafi actually has quite a lot of leverage in Libya. He's quite well-loved. You wouldn't believe that, would you? Well, it's kind of, he was always a little bit against his father. He was pro a new constitution for Libya. He was what he was, and a little bit independent. People knew that, you see, and they're tired of all this war. Yeah. If you had a vote for president and you had an open, free and fair vote, Saif Gaddafi might win, but he hasn't got much, he has no military backing now. The military backing is between General Haftar, backed by Egypt and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, and the internationally recognized government, which controls very little except for its its strong arm given it by the by the Aquan's fighters from Masrata. The internationally recognized government is, is backed by Turkey. Turkey counts. Turkey is a hegemonic power. It's also backed by Qatar, of course, a little bit. Qatar's drawn in its, uh, its, its horns a little. It doesn't do as much as it did. One of the problems for Gaza, it doesn't get Qatari money like it used to. The Shiite nations are less involved, really. I mean, Iran has its hands full, keeping its uh, head above water in Syria and, and Lebanon. Lebanon really matters to Iran, predominantly Shiite country. And so, yeah, it's got a problem enough on it. It's double enough trying to make a Shiite corridor from the Gulf to the Med. It's got enough on its plate. It doesn't really get involved in Libya and there's not much support for Iran anyway. It has no natural resonance there. So really this is a Salafist Aquan fight in Libya. Capitalist socialist fight in Libya. It's a Protestant war between the Protestants. And they are the worst, these civil wars. Blood on blood on blood. And General Haftar, if you had an election, well, he couldn't stand for election. Of course, he has an American passport but and a present Libyan constitution, but that can be changed. The whole thing is manipulated. I mean, technically, Saif Gaddafi can't stand for election because he hasn't got a Libyan ID card with a social security number. And you can't stand for election unless you have one. Well, Nobody will issue him one. <laughs> Guess they'd be in big trouble with the Americans. If they did, or well, the, well, the British, I suppose. British, you can, I must stop blaming Americans. But America has nothing to do with the Libyan war. America didn't do this. Oh, by the way, United Nations is unpopular in Libya, just like it's unpopular in much of Iraq. Just be careful there, because, I mean, the United Nations is as unpopular in Libya as it, as it is with Donald Trump. Just to be clear... It makes it very difficult for anybody who is negotiating peace on behalf of the UN. It's seen as not being impartial. One big UN negotiator went off, to, went off when he retired and went to work for the United Arab Emirates. I mean, that's one major reason. 
and uh, I've been in Misrata when they've had demonstrations, Friday demonstrations, chanting down with the United Nations, down with the United Nations, UN out of Libya. The whole population, all the young males, ranting, shouting. By goodness, they get into passionate moods. And they're not shouting down with Hafta, they're shouting down with the UN. Hafta's not particularly popular. I'm sorry. I mean, there are families in Tripoli that like Hafta, or used to, before he started besieging Tripoli. I know, I mean, I know families within which, I know one particular family whom I love very much, within which the husband is pro-Hafta, and the wife is misrotten and therefore anti-Hafta. Gosh. Enough to lead to divorce, wouldn't you think? Yeah, well, they're divorced now. Gosh, I suppose for other reasons, but nonetheless. Nonetheless, what are we talking about? We're talking about Libya. Is there hope? We have an obligation to hope, don't we, you and I? To hope for the future? Well, the likelihood is that Libya will be de facto partitioned, split in half. Because Egypt has been supporting General Haftar so strongly that he has hegemony over over the Benghazi side, over the eastern side of Libya. Whether or not he's popular there, you can argue that point. And in the West, of course, he can't he can't conquer the West, especially now that Turkey's Turkish air power has come in on behalf of the Akwan Mazratans. Yeah, they've been bombing the road. Haftar's forces have been isolated. There have been peace talks of kind in London recently, but who cares about those? Well, we all care about those, I suppose. Can we have peace talks between Haftar and the and the Tripoli government? Difficult, but with pressure. I mean, British uh, MI6 have been very active, doing good work in Libya, trying to bring the parties together. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yes, maybe. You know, you didn't think of MI6 as a peace-building organization, but it does have, has that inclination. It's done work of that kind in, in Gaza before, in those happy days. So, yes, there. things going on. Things are not unhopeful. British secret intelligence services work very hard in Libya to try and, and promote peace and reconciliation. Better than the blooming British government. What a waste of space. We started the whole problem. It's good that we're doing something to fix it now. Yes, I wish Libya well. I think there is a chance for Libya. The big question is whether Libya will be partitioned or whether we can have a future with one Libya. Does it really matter? I don't think it matters. The ordinary Libyans, they just want peace and quiet. Of course, they don't want their country split in two, but they mostly they just want peace and quiet. All these international powers meddling with their proxy wars. People are sick of us. People, by and large, are sick of the meddling by the British and American. America, not in Libya, but nonetheless, in terms of the Middle East, people are tired of the meddling by the British and American um, governments and the French. Yeah, they want to be left alone, I think. That's what a Syrian told me. He said, if you just all go home, all of you, the Saudis, the Turks, the British, the Americans, hmm, the Iranians, all go and leave us alone. We'll be at peace within a year. We are terrible meddlers. It was better in the days of imperialism. Far, far better, because then we took responsibility for our misdeeds. Now we just go and meddle. We just go and destroy, and we don't repair the damage we do, because we're no longer... Oh, we're not imperialists. We don't want to conquer these countries. No, we just want to bomb them into the blooming ground, just because we can. We have a lot to answer for. The Western world has a lot to answer for. 
and in my view its behavior is more irresponsible these days than it has ever been in these modern times. Libya is one of the countries that suffers. So that's my view of Libya. You won't agree with it, I don't think, for a moment. There you go. I am hopeful. People of good conscience can do something to make Libya better. Let's all try, shall we? Let's all try and behave ourselves. You know what the thing is about the problems of the world? They begin with a man in the mirror. Until we recognize that, we'll get nowhere. Look at the man in the mirror. He is the cause of most of the world's troubles. Okay, God bless you. Bye.